I'm, I'm extremely excited to to announce this bit of news because keeping it under wraps for the past two years, it's kind of been killing me. Today, actually a very different kind of guest. He's not an actor, but he is a director. He's the director of Hardball, Spreadsheet, Razzle Dazzle, and he's even directed two episodes of The Wrong Girl. So, without further ado, let's welcome him in. Mr. Darren Ashton. Hi, Michael. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Darren. It's a pleasure to have you on. And you know what they say? I noticed in your introduction you said that uh, I'm not an actor, and that is true, although I did act. Uh, when, I was at oh. u- when I was at university, I thought if I'm going to be a director, then I need to learn how to act. And I've got to tell you... Um, I wasn't a great actor. That's the first thing I have to say. And the second thing was when I was uh, going on stage, I used to get such stage fright that I used to throw up before I would go on stage. Oh, I see. So I admire actors. That's why I went to directing. Ah, uh, yes. My very first question is, can you tell us the story of how we encountered each other and what led to it? Let me start at the beginning, because as everybody knows, you were on Love on the Spectrum, which was produced by Northern Pictures and directed by Kean, who's a terrific director and a very talented filmmaker. And I had the opportunity to see that series because I was working at Northern Pictures at the time. I wasn't full-time then, I was on a contract. And you were charismatic. Uh, There's no other way to describe it. And I totally thought to myself, here is somebody that could do something really interesting in this industry. So that's the first time I encountered you. And when I had an opportunity to cast somebody in Hardball, which is, uh, as you know, uh, an Emmy, Emmy award-winning um, series for kids, which, which we did with the ABC, I thought, I'm going to give you a, a chance to be on set and work with me, and that was a great experience. That's how I encountered you in two parts. And yes, that... That shooting for Hardball was definitely a lot of fun, although my acting could have been better. (laughs) Well, you know, look, Michael, don't be too hard on yourself because that was your first professional acting gig. Let me just tell you something. You knew your lines better than most actors that I've worked with. Um, Now, some of those actors are probably going to... Yes, really. Some of those actors are probably going to text me. So don't be too hard on yourself. Um, You know, you've got something which is called stage presence, and that is just organic that's part of your dna your acting ability i think you know sure you can always improve i mean i every time i direct something you know i improve and we all do if if you you know if that's kind of the way we're inclined um so i wouldn't beat yourself up about your acting ability okay which also reminds me um how did you become a director i wanted to direct from as young as i can remember When I was growing up in the country, I grew up in the Riverina in a town called Griffith, and we had one cinema, and when I was 13 years old, that cinema closed down. But before it closed down, I went to see a movie that had Bruce Lee in it. I think it was um, Five Fists of Fury. And there was a lot of Italians in my town. Um, It's a big Italian community. A lot of my mates are Italian. And the minute Bruce Lee came onto the screen, people cheered and screamed, and went ballistic and I just thought I'd love to have that effect on people not me personally but on something that I do Um, so at that stage in my life I didn't want to change the world I just wanted to make people happy and and kind of enjoy themselves so that's that's 
where my passion for directing came from. Uh, then that cinema closed down, um, and then I discovered that one of Australia's foremost directors had come from my hometown, and that's a guy called Philip Noyce, who did Clear and Present Danger. Um, he did Newsfront, one of Australia's most fabulous historical f- films. And I thought, you know what? If Phil Noyce can escape this town and make it, hopefully I can too. I can at least get out of this town and, and get into filmmaking. And that's that's how I got into directing. And then I did a communications degree and I just spent my whole time making stuff. That's very impressive. And since we're on that subject, um, I'm about to start an acting course at ScreenWise. Did you go there? I've taught at ScreenWise, as a matter of fact. Oh, yes. So you are a tutor. Yes. I've, I've, I've been a tutor there. And look, ScreenWise is a great course. And I'm really happy that you're doing that course because it's important in our industry to strive to improve. In fact, I think in life it's, it's important to improve ourselves whenever we, we possibly can. Um, I've been fortunate in my career that I've been mentored by some terrific, talented people. And, you know, it's something that I take kind of very seriously as well. So going and doing a course at ScreenWise just to brush up or to... Um, you know, improve your acting skills or be even an introduction to acting, I think is really, really important. Really, really good thing to do. Although I do feel slightly nervous about it because it's new. You know what, Michael? I mean, I think, gosh, I mean, I get nervous when I when I do my first day on set on a new show or I get nervous on my first day at, um, you know, any production. And in fact, I get nervous sometimes, you know, for the simplest things, you know. So I think, it, I think nerves, there are good nerves and bad nerves. And I think those sorts of nerves are about you preparing yourself. And they're probably, I would call them excited nerves. So I think it's a good thing. Oh, I see. Since we, we've been talking about ScreenWise, I found out that Chris Hemsworth went there. Well, there you go. There you go. What else can you say? You're in good company. I, yeah. expect, I expect to see you on Thor in, in, in a very short time. Me? <laughs> Yeah, well, if you're in the company of Chris Hemsworth and uh, obviously Isabel Lucas, who's done some great stuff. Yeah, although I consider myself more of a television actor. Michael, don't limit yourself. I'm not exactly limiting myself, but I am <laughs> open to, to film acting as well. Good. Yes, because I'd like to give you a, a part in my upcoming movie that I'm shooting at the end of the year. Really? Yep. I've already emailed That's... your agent to talk about it. Really? Yeah, yes. Can you spill any beans? I can spill some beans. I can't spill all the beans. It's actually some of it's in the public domain because we were supported by Screen Australia to develop a series called Austin, which is about a neurodiverse character who discovers that his biological father is somebody that he doesn't know. And that biological father is being played by Ben Miller, um, the UK actor, who's been in Johnny English, uh, Armstrong and Miller... He's, uh, he's actually at the moment, he's in ITV's number one show, which is, I think, Professor T. So that's played by Ben, who'll be playing your biological father. Ooh. Um, and then, yeah, and then we've got Sally Phillips, who uh, is another fantastic UK actress who's playing Ben's wife. So you come into their world and kind of shake it upside down. That's the, that's the gist of, of, of the storyline. It's a comedy, half hour. Half hour comedy. You love comedy, though, don't you? Yes, of course. It's the healthiest thing for the mind. I, I'm extremely excited to, to announce this bit of news because keeping it under wraps for the past two years, it's kind of been killing me. And in fact, um, for the past couple of years, ever since we've been talking about it, um, I've uh, 
had some thoughts of who'd be great to um portray my biological mother. That's interesting. Well, yeah, go on, go on, continue. My first thought was um Rossman Pike, but she's British. She has to be Australian. And then I thought of Olga Kurylenko, but I remember that she's actually Ukrainian and uh, French, so she, she would not be perfect either. And then I thought two of my favourite Australian actresses, Susie Porter and Justin Clark. Well, you couldn't go wrong with either of those actors. They are sensational actors. Um, I've never worked with Justine. Um, I've wanted to. Um, she has one of the most terrific reputations for being a beautiful and collaborative um, actor. And fun fact, I'm at, she's actually going to be a, a, a guest on the podcast very soon. Fantastic. Well, you'll have to tell her that I wanted to work. I want to work with her in the future. And she'll go, Darren who? <laughs> Darren Ashton, for God's sake. <laughs> yep, good. I'm trusting you to promote me. <laughs> yep, I'll do that. Susie, I've not worked with either, but I've met Susie at different things, uh, different sort of functions and stuff. Susie's a vegetarian and an animal rights uh, advocate as, my, as, as am I. So she and I have that in common. That makes three of us. Uh, have you gone vegetarian? I'm not vegetarian. I'm actually a... Uh, a yeah. I, I'm actually a bit of an animal rights activist myself. I'm, that's fantastic. I'm really, ha- I'm really happy to hear that, Michael. I mean, you have a certain level of empathy and understanding, so I'm not surprised. Yeah, oh, good on you, mate. That's great. Thanks. And with Susie, I adore her. Why wouldn't you, though? She's a gentle, beautiful soul, but my God, she's talented too. I mean, the difficult thing of somebody playing your your mother on screen is um, we've also got to think about your actual background, don't we? As in your yeah. cultural background. Yeah. In fact, sometimes I just imagine me hugging Susie Porter and not letting her go. Well, we can we can do something like that in rehearsals, I guess. Yep. And in fact, <laughs> I also would like to work with Shane Jacobson too. Oh, there's another great character. Yeah, um, you've had Shane on the you've had Shane on the show, haven't you? Yeah, and Susie as well. Well, that'd be that'd be fun. Well, if we if we all work together on a show, then um, on Austin, then uh, maybe we could do a live podcast from the set. <laughs> yes, that would be great. My next question is: You are also friends with Kian O'Cleary, who has appeared on this podcast too. How did you meet him, and what did you like about working with him? Look, he's just a really considerate filmmaker. He's dedicated to his craft. I mean, that to me is something that is admirable for anybody. Anyone that's dedicated to their job is, you know, is really important, I think. doesn't matter what you do in life. You can be the guy that's collecting the garbage or running the country. It doesn't matter to me as long as you're dedicated to your job. So Kean is dedicated to his job. He's a good guy, but he's also creatively interesting. He's very, very fastidious um so i think that's really great particularly in the sort of work that he's doing the sort of area that he's working in fact keen was the reason why you and i met in the first place i remember it was january 2020 um i thought that he was going to bring you here just so you could give me some advice but it turns out that you wanted to offer me something well i wanted to offer you that role in the series because we were building that series around um a character that you know that you would be playing yeah, you know, that was the that was the sort of that was a sort of plan. Yeah, it took me by surprise as well because I didn't really expect it. But I was also quite surprised considering the fact that I had no acting experience and no formal training whatsoever. Yeah, but don't forget we did that fantastic improvisation scene with you and Ben Miller over Skype. Remember? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, well, that was fun. That was really good fun. And I mean, that for me and for, and also for Ben, 
kind of demonstrated that that you two could have a potential chemistry, which I think is important if you're going to be, you know, being on screen together. Yeah, of course. It was definitely a lot of fun. I'd like to also talk about some of the things you've directed. And since you mentioned um, Ben Miller quite a few times, he starred in and you directed that film, Razzle Dazzle. Tell us about that. Razzle Dazzle was a little bit of a... uh an insight here was written by my wife and her good friend Robin Ince who is a comedian from the UK he's better known these days for touring with Brian Cox the the uh, professor Brian Cox and where that whole project came from is that Carolyn and I at the time were taking our kids to dancing lessons and to those of Steadfords and we at one point discovered that we were kind of becoming like those stage parents not in the way that we treated our kids but like we would come out of a at a Steadford and go our dance troupe should have won they should have won they were better than that dance troupe from Liverpool you know and, and then we were thinking and then one day we went oh my god we have become those pushy stage parents who believe their kids are the best on the stage and then from there Carolyn and I started talking about it she came up with the idea of this um, guy who wanted to change the world through dance Mr. Jonathan was the character's name. It was played by Ben Miller. Uh, and then her and Robin, he was out here. He came out for a month and they just sat down and wrote and wrote and wrote. And then, of course, they wrote for about the next two years uh, until we made the That's film. That's really impressive. And what I've also noticed about stage parents is that they believe that they're doing what's best for, for their kids when really they're only doing what's best for themselves. Look, I think that's true of the extreme version, for sure. I think you've always got to listen to your kids and to um, have your ears open and your eyes open for what they really want to do and and what their true kind of talent or interests are. But if your daughter's not really um, enjoying it, for the most part, there's no point in her continuing it. In fact, I've actually um, done a bit of dancing myself. This kind of dancing is ballroom dancing. You know, I love that. I love discovering things about you that I didn't know every time we talk. So hang on, just talk to me about... You talk... Actually, no, you might have talked about it on season two, yeah, did you? About did, ballroom yeah. dancing? I can't remember. Yes, but the problem is I haven't done it for a few years. Well, you better you better brush up because we in might put that in the show. Austin? Yeah, why not? Why can't why can't the character be a, in a ballroom oh. dancing? The writers will probably love that idea. I stopped, I stopped doing it four years ago because my father said to me that... Nobody my age does it anymore. And so that's what convinced me to stop doing it. Yeah, but you know what? If we were doing it for the show, we'd get a choreographer and you'd brush up. I mean, it wouldn't take you long to brush up, surely. For the most part, I'm able to do the tango and the waltz. Oh, the tango's impressive. Yeah. When I got married, I had to go and get um, lessons for our bridal waltz or whatever it's called. Um I think we did the box step, which was the easiest thing to learn, but it still took me two months to learn it. I was, I'm, not, I'm not very coordinated in that department, and I can't sing. I'm not really a great singer either. That's all right. You're good at a lot of other things. But the thing is also, when I do um, dancing or acting, the reason why I sometimes believe I could have done something better is because I have this tendency to put a lot of um, pressure on myself because I have such high standards for myself. Look, it's okay to have high standards. I think... It's when you have unrelenting high standards where you don't give yourself a break that it becomes a kind of negative force. Yeah. So it's always good to try and do better and want to be better. But, you know, ultimately, though, if it's something that's kind of detrimental or it's, it's kind of giving you a hard time, you're not enjoying mm. it, then, then, you know, you maybe need to examine yeah. it. 
But the thing is, um, while I was growing up, my mother had this um, tendency to put pressure on herself as a mother. And that somehow kind of rubbed off on me. Look, I think all parents do that, though. You know, or well, most parents do put pressure on themselves yeah. to be a good parent or, you know, have high expectations. I think that's okay. You know what's interesting about all this, Michael? And I don't think this will surprise you, but I'm really interested in this kind of dynamic and this kind of psychology because it's something that you often need to um, kind of draw upon if you are in a writer's room and you're creating a show or you're on set and you're talking about the dynamics between characters or in rehearsals. So the psychology of people and the psychology of characters is really is really um, fascinating to me. So that's why I'm probably, you know, when you, when you mention these things and uh, I find them very mm. interesting. That's very surprising. Can you tell us about performing from a director's point of view? I think as a director, what I've discovered as I've gotten more experienced and, and also gotten older is that I try not to put expectations on a performance that are predetermined. What I mean by that is that I'm open to seeing what the actor will bring to the scene and what the actors ideas or interpretations of the character or the scene are you know there are a lot of directors who have a very very narrow vision of how a scene should be played and that's can sometimes get you into trouble and also why wouldn't you be open to something that's better so what you have to do as a director is you have to filter what is exciting and strong and works for the scene and when it's off the mark so I've had situations where I had a scene with three or four actors and every one of those actors has a completely different style of performance. An act, one actor, yeah, like one actor might um, be very method and has to get into the, into, the, into the kind of mood and the scene and, and into character. Another actor might be very mechanical and go, okay, I can do this, I can walk from there to there and say my lines. You know, sometimes there are actors that are good on their first three takes and then go downhill and then there are actors that are good on their last five or six takes but no good on their first few. So as a director, you have to go, okay, I've got to shoot this in a way that is best for any one of those actors on set. You can't favour one over the other. I have done that in the past. I have done that in the past mistakenly when I was starting out where I've kind of favoured one actor, not because I like them or anything, but I've their performance or something and I've neglected the other actor and I I look back on that now and I feel like I let that actor down, that I should have been more attentive to the needs of both actors, not just one that that kind of drew my attention. How do you get the best out of your actors? Strangely enough, I think the best thing you can do often as a director is listen, is listen to your actors, listen to your cast and what they're saying, their interpretations of characters and how they see a scene. It can be exciting, it can be inventive – and sometimes it can be a little bit off the mark. So to get the best out of the actor, I always think of it as guiding or nudging is the term that I use. You know, some of my favourite Australian directors like, um, you know, uh, Kate Dennis, Kate Woods, Dana Reed, they are working in the States doing some big stuff. Um, Jet Wilkinson. And, you know, we always, whenever we get together and we do occasionally, we always laugh about how the more you do this, the less you have to say. So I kind of feel like, 
one, you gain confidence and you know what you're doing with your actors, but mm. two, I think it's listening, just listening, you know. Directors like to talk. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of that. But you know what? When I'm on set or I'm with a, with a cast and I trust them, I like to I like to listen. Particularly if you're working with someone like oh. Catherine Parkinson from the UK. And since you mentioned Catherine Parkinson, um, didn't you um, direct her on Spreadsheet? I worked with Catherine on Spreadsheet, and it was probably one of the most delightful experiences of my career, particularly in television. Catherine was was one of the most inventive comedic actors I've ever worked with. I mean, you know, she was in the IT crowd. Comedy is her thing, although she's very good in drama. She was in Humans and she was amazing, that BBC series. But you could get Catherine to put on a shoe and she could make it funny. I mean, there's a scene in Spreadsheet where she's in a beanbag and she falls out of a beanbag. Now, you wouldn't think you could fall out of a beanbag, but Catherine manages to fall out of a beanbag in a really funny way. She's just just a delight. Knows, Knows... how to work on a set and is so generous with other actors that's the thing I really loved about her is that it wouldn't matter if you came in as a guest artist on the show and you only had a few lines she was as respectful to you to that actor on set that was coming in for a small role as she was to her um, co-stars in that show so yeah it was really yeah it made for a great great shoot but I also have to say that in terms of comedy, there are a lot a lot of things that people find funny. I generally don't really find funny because my sense of humour is very dry. You know what, Michael? I think the thing about comedy, and I've spent most of my life working in comedy, even when I was a kid, it was always a thing I was drawn to. The thing about comedy is that what one person finds funny, another person doesn't. Whereas drama, I always say this, drama, you can have a... a you know, a moving image of a snowflake falling beautifully from the sky and then cut to the actor's face and a tear can roll down it and we all have an emotional reaction to that. doesn't matter who you are. But comedy is hard. Yeah. And like you say, somebody will like a person falling over. Somebody might like a witty line. Somebody might just want, you know, kind of rom-com banter. So what one person finds yeah. funny, you know, is, is really subjective. Well, for me, I find Mark Evan Jackson who's an American comedian, to be a particular inspiration because um, his characters are strict and authoritative and he's known for his um, distinctive deadpan delivery of lines. And I often pictured myself as a, as a deadpan comedian. Have you thought of doing stand-up? No, because I don't have any jokes. When I try to be funny, it doesn't work. Well, that is interesting that you say that because I think in the series that we're doing, we've been talking about Austin being kind of more of a straight guy. I mean, he's going to have some funny lines for sure, but he doesn't realise they're funny. That's the good thing about it, you know. That's a bit of a basic description of me. (laughs) Yeah, it probably is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's got a heart. He's the moral compass of the show. Let's put it that way. Oh, I see. (laughs) Sounds like a very interesting character. Well, it's being played by an interesting guy, Michael Theo. Of course. True. That's true. And also... um. I forgot to ask you this question. What do you look for in actors? The main thing I look for in actors is a performance that is unique. And when you're doing a show and you've got actors auditioning, you will get lots and lots of auditions that are sent to you by the casting director. And often you'll be watching them and say there's 20 actors auditioning for a part, 10 of them will do the... the uh, role almost the same way, almost predictably. 
their performances are really solid and strong. That's not the question. But what you're looking for is that one person that pops. So I'm always looking for something a little bit unique, something that's a little bit different. I also decided some time ago yeah. that if I ever got into this industry, I would. I wanted to be the kind of actor that everybody enjoyed working with, not just the cast, but also the directors and the crew. I think that's important. You want to get on with people regardless of what industry you're in. But in the film and television industry, you know, often you're working long hours, you're under difficult circumstances. I mean, you might be on a set, right? And in the, in the script it says, it's a beautiful sunny day and everybody's got their swimmers on to go for a swim and you turn up and it's raining and it's six degrees centigrade and you have to perform. So in those conditions, which are quite difficult, you want to be working with people that you like and you get on with. So it's important, but I couldn't imagine you being anything other than that. I mean, when you were on set with me on Hardball, you were terrific. You were great. I was. And you also enjoyed the catering, didn't you? Yeah, I did. You went back for seconds, if I remember. I think so. (laughs) I've also read stories where some actors can be difficult to work with, especially in Hollywood. Look, the thing about being difficult to work with is you've got to drill down into what that really means, Michael, because I've had actors that can be difficult, but it's about about getting to the character, getting to the best performance, and I kind of respect that. If they're difficult where they're just storming off set or or they're coming late or they're being unprofessional, I won't put up with that. I just won't put up with that. You know, I've been on set where the script doesn't make sense and the actors are frustrated and they've got every right to be. Yeah. I kind of like to consider myself the glue of the cast. (laughs) I can believe that. And I also have a a rather accommodating nature. Well, that's true. I mean, when you were on Hardball, remember, you came and stayed the night at my place, if I remember correctly, and my wife cooked you a, a pasta. I remember that. Which I don't think was quite as good as the pasta your mother makes. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. <laughs> but I think your mother's a good cook, though, isn't she? My mother and your wife are both great cooks. Good. Well, you're get, you're cooking too now, aren't you? Isn't well, that- I'm starting. I'm still kind of um, rusty. Oh, yeah, but, you know, that's the same as your ballroom dancing, mate. You can't suddenly be Fred Astaire and you can't suddenly be Gordon Ramsay. You've got to work up to it. No. Oh, um, I do have another question. What advice do you have for me as I start move to start an acting career? You've got to just keep your eye on the prize. You know, work hard. You can always improve. And look for opportunities, you know, whenever they come along. But you've also got to be discerning. You can't just take anything um, yeah. or do something that instinctively you don't feel right about. So that would be my advice. I mean, you're doing all the right things. You know, you've got this podcast, which is great. You're going to screen, ScreenWise to do um, some acting lessons. You know, you worked on Hardball with me. Um, you know, I want to work with you again on the film. Um, and then we've got the TV series coming up. So, you, yeah. you know, you're moving in the right direction. It's a slow process, though, Michael. It's not something that happens overnight. That, that idea of overnight stars is just is a myth. Yeah, I kind of would like to work with you as frequently as possible well i'd like to work more frequently to be honest but um you know it takes a while to develop projects and get them to a stage where they're being made it does yes yep also when i started this podcast i decided that my podcast would have a strict no covert talk policy because it's something that i'm pretty proud of well it's it's such a it's such a good policy i didn't even think to mention anything about it so that's good and i also have a strict policy against talking about politics as well Well, that's a minefield, Michael, so that's probably a good policy. I wish we had a few more policies like that. 
if you want some some good done for the world, sometimes you've got to take action yourself. Well, there you go. I think all of us should take action. You know, it's no good being an armchair critic. I believe that we're on to our Ask Mr. A Plus segment. That's a segment towards the end of the podcast where the guest gets the opportunity to ask me questions, whatever comes to mind. So I canvassed my family about what to ask you. Um, I talked to my daughter who's in New York and I talked to my daughter who's up the road and my wife at home. And the question that we all agreed on was, Michael, where do you see yourself in five years' time? In five years' time, I see myself being a really successful, established actor, working in comedies, drama, film, television, voice acting, and continuing to work with you. (laughs) I think that's a great answer. Also married as well. Well, that's probably going to take you longer than your career these days, don't you think? Or am I being pessimistic? I don't know about it being pessimistic, but it's kind of accurate. Well, my daughter's fallen in... I shouldn't say fallen in love, but she's met a chap in New York, so she may be lost to America. Who knows? Lost to America? Yeah, well, you meet somebody in their home country. Does it mean they're going to come here or are you going to stay there? What's going to happen? Who knows? That's a good answer, Michael. I think, yeah. Well, I I, I hope that all comes off, but you're, you're moving in the right direction, which is exciting. That's good. I'm doing my best. Do you happen to have any other questions you'd like to ask me? Oh, Yes. This is from my daughter, which I, which is one of the canvas ones. She says, ask Michael what his favourite zodiac sign is. He loves zodiac yes. signs, is what she said. This might sound a little bit biased, but but I actually have three of them: um, right. Pisces, Cancer, and Scorpio. What and why and why why those three? Because um, I'm a Piscean myself. This might sound yep. a little bit biased, but by, by the way, but the thing is um. Cancer and Scorpio are the are extremely compatible with Pisces, and because yeah. not only they're the water signs, but they're also the most sensitive star signs. But they're very creative and romantic, romantic as well, and they tend to be key, peacekeepers as well. That's great. Oh, good on you, Michael. That sounds great. Any more questions? No, that's it. That's that's oh. all I had for you. Thanks. Okay. You, know, you and I've had you and I've had a few chats over the over the years, and I always enjoy yeah. them. So do I. Well, thank you so much, Darren, for being on on today's podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Michael, it was also a pleasure to to catch up with you again and to hear a little bit more about you and what you're up to and just to share some of my thoughts with you, mate. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Thanks for your time. Mm